I don't hang up anymore because you always bitch about it. <laughs> Adam Curry, John C. Dvorak. It's Sunday, August 16, 2009. Time again for your Gitmo Nation audio publication episode 122. This is no agenda. Coming to you from the 17th century Canal House Crackpot Command Center in the heart of Gitmo Nation East. In Amsterdam today, I'm Adam Curry. And I'm John C. Dvorak from the fire-filled hills of California. Ah, it just wants to end with John C. Dvorak. Yeah, I know. I blew it. It's Crackpot and Buzzkill in the morning. <laughs> hey, man, that Santa Cruz fire, that's that's pretty wicked. Eh, that's pretty typical. Because um, Tony, Tony, the ferry pilot, he said he could see it when he was flying into Oakland. Oh, yeah, you can see all these fires when you're flying around. Yeah, he said it was like a big wall, a big angry wall of fire. Yeah, they it got it. They, it, st- it was a problem fire because it was one of those you had to let it go for a while before you could do anything about it. And I'm so happy that it happened. You know, like two weeks after after I was there, because I'm like, you know, I would totally get blamed for that shit. <laughs> How would you get blamed for? Because it? you know, does, someone- your, does your airplane have a lot of sparks coming <laughs> off of it? No, you know, someone flicked a cigarette out the window of their car, and that's <laughs> and that's how it happened, right? You know, that's, that's always how these things get started. It was so dry when we were up there. I'm just like, you know, man, this this is just not good. Well, that's right. You were in the area. Yeah. yeah, totally. Yeah, you notice how dry it was, right? Oh, it's unbelievable. I mean, it's- well, the worst, there was a worse fire that was in Tracy because Tracy is where all the wind generators are. And so, and it's all grasslands. And so oh, when yeah. they start, when the fire starts there, the wind is usually blowing 50 miles an hour and they yeah. just have nothing but trouble. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it seems like it's impossible to, to stop. Impossible. So uh, I'm in the uh, 17th century canal house. Uh, connection seems reasonable. Of course, uh, not provided by AT&T, so we should be good to go. They won't try to unplug us. Uh, and uh, I have uh, I flew through the night. I did sleep a little bit, so I'm a little shaky. Um, so um, what uh, carrier did you go on? I took KLM, which I am liking more and more. Uh, certainly more yeah, than that's those. That's the Royal Dutch Airlines. It's uh, Royal Dutch <laughs> Airlines Air France. I must say. Oh, did they buy Air France? Oh, did they merge, or what's the deal? Air That's France right. bought them, yeah. And Air France yeah. uh, lost, I think, half a half a billion euros uh, in their most recent report. <laughs> well, at least, at least then you know you're getting a deal. I got to tell you, though, um, first of all, it's about, it's almost, it's $2,000 cheaper to fly with KLM. Okay, granted, you, the, you don't get the nice little duvet. Um, and in fact, you know, if you were to look, if you would Google uh, Virgin Upper Class, I wonder if there's a picture. Because I was, th- you know, so I'm kind of off my Virgin Atlantic trip for a number of reasons. One, just the price was so outrageous. Of course, they they hedge their fuel, which means that they should actually be able to provide a much cheaper service. But instead, it looks like they've just kept it the same. I mean, if you call within a month to book your round trip, they literally charge you Upper Class 7,000 pounds. Seven thousand. That's ten thousand dollars or more. Yeah. No, it's and more like twelve. Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. And twelve thousand dollars for what? Where they ra- is that around round the world? Of no, that's full round trip. Go anywhere you want all no, the time. No, that's San Francisco, London round trip. Twelve thousand dollars. Yeah, and if you do it, um, or I'm sorry, yeah, more. Yeah, yeah seven thousand pounds. Yeah, that's about twelve thousand. And if you do it outside of a month, then it's like, you know, they give you some break. Like, then it's like 5,200 pounds. I mean, it's, it's outrageous. And KLM, you fly business class. They don't have a first class. And right. it's 2,200 euros. So that's like, you know, $3,000. But if you can Google Virgin 
upper class. Let me see. Diagram. Well, can, well, can I make a make a comment about that uh, the virgin price? Yes, please. It seems high. <laughs> yeah, and they're arrogant. I'm looking for a diagram because the way it's set up in uh, in virgin upper class. You you know those. Um, Diagrams of slave ships and how the slaves were all packed into uh, into the ship. Yeah, that's exactly what it's like on Virgin. And the more I thought about that and the price, I'm like, it's ridiculous that I'm paying to be transported like a slave with a duvet for for <laughs> for twelve thousand dollars. I wish I could find one. Virgin mm. class, maybe it's seating diagram. I mean, it's it's real. It's eerie. It's just eerie when you see it. I should, I should, uh, for the show notes, I should get. Uh, yeah, get a sh- copy of it, or you should take pictures when you go away. You're probably not going to fly them anymore. Oh, here it is. Here, prices. let me see. This is it. This might be it. Yeah, hold on. Let me just. Uh, well, it's not exactly the depiction I wanted to give you, but when you see it, you'll you understand what I'm saying here. Check. Well, it I may out. have seen this kind of layout before. There's a bunch of these. Holy crap! What kind of a link is that? <laughs> I don't know. It's like it's like war and peace. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, this is this is the Airbus. Okay, so it, now look at the upper class, and you see it's just like you're packed in like slaves. Look at the front. Holy crap! You see what I'm saying? So that yeah. that of course is your own personal suite. You don't get any more, any less. You know, the seat on KLM goes almost goes almost vertical. You know, I didn't sleep any worse, and the food is is superior on KLM. To Virgin. Oh really? Oh, far superior. I'm always amused by the fact that uh, you know the food varies so much from uh, carrier to carrier, carrier to carrier. But it also varies over time. Uh, a friend of mine was the consultant for Delta for a while for both the wine and the food, and he was great because the food for a short period of time on Delta was absolutely spectacular. But then I went in the back, and but it was kind of complicated. They actually had to do more than just throw it out in front of you. Right. And I'm talking about in first class. Right. And so I went and talked to the uh, uh, flight attendants about it, and they were, well, I, you know, they make us put pour this sauce on it, and they were moaning. <laughs> so they I had to do I, actual work? <laughs> yeah, because they had to actually do actual work. You know, they had to... So I, you know, do some whatever. You know, the flight attendants are not there to serve you, John. They're there for your safety, you know. Yeah, that's what they, I know, they make that point. It is true, so, though. Um, it is true. You know, if, if you need to get, if you need to evacuate out of that plane, you know, I would say their training does kick in. They, if, if you're savable, they will save you. And yeah, other, well, and, that's a good thing. And besides I'd that, rather have that than the food, but it's nice to have the food. But yeah. what was more interesting was the fact that they had a really amazing selection of wines. And, um, yeah, and then, you know, it. they... The guy went and he did the uh, consulting for Singapore for a while. Who actually, run, who actually run Virgin Atlantic. It's run by Singapore, you know. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So then they, uh, the food there was really outstanding for a while. Now, I don't know what he's doing now, but he's doing a magazine or something. But the point is that it fluctuates, and it goes from consultant to consultant, and these you know, these bean counters come in there and say, this is so expensive, we should be able to save 50 cents a head. Yeah, you know, And they do the calculation, and the next thing you know, the food is crap again. Or like Alaskan used to brag about their food up and down the coast, and then they just all of a sudden, no food. No food for you. You will get no food. No service for you. What I like about KLM is they, st- even though there's a crunch, even though they lost half a billion euros, still at the end of the flight, everybody in business class g- gets to choose a nice little canal house 
Have you ever flown KLM where you get this, John? Yeah, they give you that little bowls thing. Message yeah. from Mark Van Ditch. Oh, what the hell was that? Message from Mark Van Ditch. Someone's Skyping, <laughs> Someone's Skyping me. Um, yeah, so the they give Skyping you the... is coming over the broadcast? <laughs> I don't know what's going on. So, uh, yeah, it's a nice Delft Blue uh, Canal House. They have 89 of them. I have uh, one. <laughs> well, I, I have about, I probably have about 40, although I don't know where where most of those are. So I started the collection anew. And, you could uh, make a whole wall of them. You could make, whole, make it look like a little... Ho- a little. Uh, yeah, you could play like Little Holland. <laughs> you could have a little train set to yeah! go around. Oh, it's so cool. <laughs> anyway, so the food was good. Selection of wine was good. Steward is just very, very kind. Um, and they have uh, 110 uh, volt in-seat power, which is also well, very good. nice. I like that. So, in other words, what you're saying is that, you know, if this was an American carry, those little those little houses, little porcelain houses filled with liquor yeah. would be the first to go. <laughs> of course. They're out of here. We're not, we'll have none of those perks. No, it's nice, you know. And, in fact, uh, when Mickey and I flew together, they gave us two. You know, it's like, oh, you're special. Here, why don't you get, take another one? <laughs> That's cool. Well, they do that once in a while and united with a good dive of chocolate, and that's about it. Woo! Uh, so anyway, on the aviation tip, uh, two other things. One, so my, my aircraft arrived in, uh, in Oakland and, uh, Tony, the ferry pilot flew it all the way over from London. He took about, uh, well, it would have been five days. He took six because the vacuum pump broke somewhere between Canada and, uh, and Vermont. And so, uh, I, I, he did, he said, you know, I, I don't need it. <laughs> I don't really need it to fly. I said, why don't you just get it repaired, Tony? That's okay. <laughs> and so this guy is, um, he's almost 70. And uh, I, I stand corrected. I thought he had done 150 of these crossings. He has done 550 of these crossings. And wow. He's, and he's retired, and this is what he does. He also he flies airplanes to, uh, you know, from Europe to Alaska. He flies them down to Brazil, anywhere in the world. And I was tracking him on Google Earth. I put a link on the, on my on my site, curry.com. And so he was going over the Rockies, and I'm looking at him, you know, doing like 16,000 feet for hours on end. I'm like, wow, you know, that's uh, that's pretty impressive. Of course, uh, turns out he didn't have any oxygen with him. <laughs> he, he was literally flying for like four hours at 16,000 feet with no oxygen. I'm like, Tony, uh, dude. He said, yeah, I did get a little bit of a headache. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would think. No kidding. That's like, uh, that's like highly not recommended. You say, well, it beats flying into the mountain. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I'll take that. This guy was full of stories. You, I, you would have loved talking to him. I took him out for dinner um, after he landed, and he just had he had some amazing stories. This is one of these guys like, well, you know, I was flying this uh, this uh, beach out of uh, Brazil, and uh, I got struck by lightning, and you know, it was a hole the size of my head in the wing. You know, he's got all these great stories. You know, you just sit there like, duh. He's like, you feel so completely inadequate as any as an aviator. Like, uh, yeah, okay. You're like, that's pretty exciting. So, um, so it's in. Good. Yeah, I'm very happy. And I have a little plane to fly around. It's not just a little plane. It's my escape pod. It's actually a pretty nice plane. It's a it's a 182, right? Yeah, retractable. So that's uh, and it has the uh, the long range tank, so you can fly for seven hours. And uh, that's a nice 150 knots. Sounds like a road trip. Vegas, here we come. (laughs) Yeah, Vegas should only be about uh, under two hours, I think. 
Because you know they're changing the way they're, they're changing the Vegas airport structure. They're supposedly moving the uh, general aviation down to the middle of nowhere somewhere. Uh. They're you know they they're building they're rebuilding that airport which has already been rebuilt. But the thing is with this economy going the way it is, I think Vegas is putting itself into a bind. Yeah, they got some problems. No, it's not going to get any better. Yeah, just staying with aviation, I was reading that, um, let's see, where is it? Uh, I think the UK pumped some money into Airbus, which of course is the big point of contention between Boeing and uh, EADS, the European Aero Defense uh, Systems, I guess it is. Uh, you know, this is this is what the World Trade Organization has has been working on for a decade at least. You know, it's like is right. it fair competition that Europe? They don't want any cheaters. Well, no, because these guys fight for every single sale. And um, let me see, I'm looking for the exact amount. Anyway, so I guess my point is now that uh, uh, Europe has pumped a couple hundred million into into Airbus, it's time that Boeing brings one of them down again. <laughs> oh, God. So I wouldn't be flying Airbus if I were you. So the uh, you ever see one of the they they they, they I documented this on some show years and years ago that the actual the actual sale of one of these big like a fifty million dollar airplane yeah to a, to a big company and how they actually have to do it they have the key, they have keys yeah I I I might have to dispute this because I've seen this happen too you tell me what your story is. Well, my story is is that they the guy they hand over the plane officially when they have a computer confirmation of the money being sent. And there's like this huge. There's all kinds of security based on getting this money from point A to point B, so it's in the hands of the company at the time that the that the the plane is officially turned over. Well, there's a couple of different steps. Uh, so that you know, the first of all, you have to pay a deposit. Then you pay for certain steps along the assembly line up until the aircraft is what we call green. So have you ever seen an aircraft right at the end just before it rolls out of the factory? It's actually green. It's like this puke, pukish green color. And that's before that, you know, that's like the primer. And uh, then you get to do a number of test flights. Actually, it's not really a primer. It's my impression that it's just to protect the aluminum shell. Uh, yeah. Well, I know I don't know if it's protected. You know, American Airlines has no it paint on. Off. It. American, no, 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 no. It it stays underneath. Hmm. Anyway, they just call it when the aircraft is green, and then there's a number of test flights that are done. So you pay a certain amount of money all along the line, uh, and then indeed there is an exchange of money and keys, and they have special uh, crews that go over, and then they fly these planes back to wherever they're supposed to go. And I think there's, you know, there's there's all kinds of regulations if they find something they don't like. I mean, it's it's a huge. I mean, you think you can get a shitty Monday morning car? Imagine getting an aircraft that was built on Monday morning. You know, it does happen. So the uh, they, I'm always flying in and out of Boeing Field in uh, Washington State, and I always hear about these guys. In fact, I've talked to a couple. Of them, oh yeah, I'm a pilot for you know Boeing. I'm you know I have to fly fly the 777 over to Japan or I do this, and I'm always thinking, can I get a ride on this thing? I mean, why not? The thing's empty. Mm, probably not. It's probably insurance. why not? It's an insurance issue. What insurance issue? Uh, the insurance is insurance is fucked, John, around the world in general. In fact, that's the whole problem. That's instead of talking about health care and death panels, why don't we just talk about insurance? Insurance is supposed to be when disaster strikes. It's not supposed to be like a layaway plan for your for your aspirin. 
When did that happen? When did that change? When when did the insurance companies become like a a financier for healthcare instead of for an emergency when you really need like a you know a cat scan or something really huge? You know, it's just it, it's the whole system it blows. So I can't get a ride on an airplane, and you think it's because of insurance? <laughs> it totally. It's one hundred percent because of insurance. I'll look into it. Okay. Don't trust there the must airplane. be a pilot out there, one of these types of pilots listening to the show. we got enough listeners. We almost have somebody in, in every category, except apparently in grantsmanship. Because we <laughs> normally hear about stuff from everybody, and then we have heard nothing from anyone that could get us a grant. No, of course not, because anyone who knows how to get a grant is too busy getting it right now. From grants.gov, they're getting their own grants. They don't want to help us. There's so much Ooh, money floating it. around. I ran into one called the Bradley Foundation. It looks like some sort of a right-wing think tank that throws money around. Well, we would gladly take a grant and then we I'm could, wondering we could if the right-wing think tanks would give us money. I don't think anyone We're, is going to give us any. You know, I'm reading this awesome book, uh, which is based on a true story. I started reading it on the plane called The Informant. It was, I think it was made into a movie. Uh, not, good, not the informant. Know. Hold on a second. The, uh, yeah, the informer. Is it the informer? The informant. It's about Arthur Daniels Midland. About that oh. huge scandal they had with price fixing. Hmm. What a shocker. In uh, so this was in the in two thousand in the late in the late nineties, I guess. You, you you didn't know about this. You've never read this book. No. Oh, I know about it, but I didn't read the book. It is a page turner. So everything in this book, except for the whistleblower's name, who was an executive at, uh, at uh, Arthur Daniels Midland, is you know true. It's from transcripts, 800 hours of interviews, FBI tapes. Oh, my God. This really shows you how fucked America really is and how it really works. How Warren Buffett's son you know, calls up and says, well, this uh, senator needs like a thousand bucks for his... Uh, you know, for his campaign, and they're like, well, we've, we're already maxed out. We've already given all we can. We'll just give him a thousand. We'll pay the nine thousand dollar fine. No problem. And it's just, it's, it's all about just, <laughs> it's buying politicians. And these guys, they literally say, we love our competitors. We hate the customer. Cause all they were doing was price fixing with this, um, um, this, this microbe, this germ that, that makes, uh, cattle fatter. Um, ah, shit. Let me grab the book. You have to take notes when you read these books. Yeah, the informant Kurt Eichwald, and the uh, it's uh, what's the name of this? Uh, Sounds like it'd be a good book on tape. Actually, I mean, it's a page turner. I'm just I'm just ripping through it. I'm almost halfway through. It's 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 uh, only like 500 pages. Um, but when you read about how they have this microbe and it makes. Uh, so you know they 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 grow this in the lab and then um, I'm looking through the book to find the name of the microbe while we're at it and they actually they stole it from the from the Japanese firm and then they all you know price fix but not just price fix but also uh, limit the production you know of course because you you know otherwise the market just starts to work on its own with supply and demand so they all decide exactly how much they're going to produce who's going to have what markets and of course this is a fine Chicago company yeah well they know how to do business right. Oh, they really do. Uh, so when we're talking about f wine and food, we should at least bring up some of the restaurants we've checked out because people are always complaining that we're not talking enough about food. And uh, But we while to, we're talking uh, about food, we might as well talk about the tomato blight going on. 
Well, you want to talk? We want to do a review a restaurant first, or talk about the tomato blight? Uh, let's do the restaurant first because I think uh, we're off to a uh, a casual start. We don't want to like you know. What was it? The last one we had. <laughs> you get more letters than people. Your show is so informative. So, I never hear this stuff. Okay, well, we won't be hearing much then today. Noodles. So what was the restaurant we went to? Noodles Incorporated. Noodles. Oh uh, no, that place. Yeah, I forgot about it. that place. Was actually decent. Was no, the good. other place we went to with uh, with Mimi and Jay. We went to. Um, it was unmemorable. I can't even remember the name of it. Well, you reserved it. I mean, I could look it up on Open Table. Yeah. You know, that's kind of bothersome when I don't remember the restaurant. Well, it was memorable for me because I was just like, I'm just looking at, at your wife going like. Now I understand it. Now, so many things clicked in place for me that night, John. Because, of course, this was the first time I ever met your wife. It's like, okay, now I get it. Now I understand. She's going to wonder what you're thinking because she listens to the show religiously. The only thing she's ever paid any attention to that I've ever done. Well, the, uh, she told me right off the it was the Absinthe Brasserie and Bar. On Hayes Street. Oh, it's absinthe. Absinthe. And the reason why she listens to the show is she said, I had no idea John is such an asshole to other people. I thought it was only me. <laughs> she uses that as her line. She's like like you with these stock no, lines trying man, to get it. She meant it. She it came out. Over and over. She came out. She says came out this to everybody. It's, it's the truth. And I... and. Dude, I was sitting there across from your daughter, and you two are going at it. You're just back and forth, back and I'm looking at Jay going like, wow, you want to learn how to smoke? <laughs> She's like, no. <laughs> just, it, was, it was entertaining. I mean, Mimi could certainly sit in uh, in my in my spot and do the show. She is well, one a, of the. She's a bigger crackpot than I am. Well, well, that may be true. But one of the reasons that I, you know, when we came up with the show model for this show was because of these conversation conversations I'd ha- I'd have with her, and then one day it dawned on me. I said. To, or to myself, this is just wasted content. Why don't we just, you know, I mean, I, in fact, you and I have the same relationship now. It's that we get together and we're like really sketchy about actually talking because we, we don't want to blow the show. We don't want to blow all the good material because it's, 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 you know, people don't realize that there's a lot of people out there, I guess. And I don't think we're the only ones that actually have content in our conversations that might be of interest to somebody else. <laughs> And it's kind of crazy. It's certainly not interesting to ourselves. (laughs) It's kind of crazy not to at least, you know, make it, you know, professionalize it and make it something people can listen to. But anyway, so the restaurant, Absinthe, which was always listed, you know, I yelped it. I did everything. You know, I thought it was going to be better than it was. I thought it was actually kind of... in con- I didn't think my the, the drinks were good and the wine list was okay, but the food I thought was just nothing. Um... The you know, the uh, the cheese or the meat platter we had as an appetizer that was kind the of the appetizers okay. were good. This place is really a bar where you'd get appetizers and then get some you know something to drink. Yeah, or you you pick up some slut. It looks like it's possible. Yeah, maybe. Uh, I had the uh, risotto, which was actually okay. I don't even know what I had. That's how unmemorable it was. We had, I do know we had the escargot, the snails. Oh, yeah, because Jay has never had escargot. Yeah, and they, they weren't. They were they, bland. Yeah, how do you make escargot bland? There wasn't enough garlic and, and shallots. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't. It was like bland good. escargot. You know, it's like, what? 
I wish I could yeah, find I... the name of this microbe. It's pissing me off. Yeah, let me get the. Uh... What was that? So then we went to this place called Noodle something or other. It was Noodle. Uh, it was in Oakland. Yeah, Noodle Theory. They, <laughs> which of course is a take on string theory, I presume. I never thought about it. I, that hit me the other night. I'm like, oh, now I understand why it was called Noodle Theory. I mean, why well, else, true. right? It's a little place around the corner of a place you wanted to go to that was packed, so we didn't go there. And I, you know, I, I drove past it, and I said, well, "That's kind of a cute little place." And it actually was a cute little place. The, the the food wasn't spectacular, but it was very edible and dirt cheap. And the thing that impressed me most, though, and I think people who go out to eat a lot have to also be impressed by something like this. I asked them how, when the place was open, and they said, "Well, it's been open uh, for two years." And I just dro- made my jaw drop. This place. Has the look and feel and cleanliness of a place that was open for like a week. Yeah, it did look pretty good, and it, and uh, we had that interesting white wine. Which uh, what was that called? Yeah, uh, I don't know. All right, here it is. Uh, ADM was entering a new era in 1989, creating the bioproducts division. I'm amazed that you didn't know that, John, you, you as the chemist should certainly be into this. No longer would the company just grind and crush food products. Instead, it was veering into biotechnology, feeding dextrose from corn to tiny microbes. Over time, these microbes, or bugs as they were known, converted the sugar into an amino acid called lysine. L-Y-S-I-N-E. Yeah. As people in the business like to say, the bugs ate dextrose and crapped lysine. In animal feed, lysine bulked up chickens and pigs, just the product needed by giant food companies like Tyson and Conagra. So yeah. that's so that's kind of the whole thing. So they basically stole this bug from a Japanese company, and then they all you know it's price fixing, and then the feds get involved. It's it's fantastic. You read this book, you're like, <laughs> that's corporate America for you, everybody, right there. That's how it works. Buy off your politicians and screw your and customers. Do what you have to do. Screw well, your that's customers. the way it's always been. I don't think any of that's new. Well, this well this of course um, was it uh, Herbert Hubert. Uh, Hoover? Was it Hoover who invented the anti-price-fixing uh, laws? Herbert Hoover? Herbert Hoover, yeah. I don't know. It's possible. <laughs> Wait until I finish the book. I think it was done during the... I thought it was done during the uh, Roosevelt administration or before then. I, I can't know. believe Hoover would be responsible. Uh, I gotta look into it. It's, it's just a fascinating book. The informant, <laughs> Kurt Eigen, Eigenwald. Eigenwald. Interesting thing happening over here in Gitmo Nation East, John, that is uh, uh, worth mentioning before we get into uh, the tomatoes. The uh, Dutch royal family sued Associated Press uh, for making pictures available of them to the uh, to their press clients. So they're actually it's a there's oh really yes and they and they want to not only forbid AP from making pictures available. But they want a mandatory fine of 25,000 euros each time they put a picture up and make it available for newspapers or magazines or other media to, uh, to grab. And they've got this whole sob story about how it affects their lives, the lives of their children. And oh boy, when I was growing up as a prince, I never felt so, you know, safe because, you know, people are always watching us. I'm like, well, welcome to celebrityhood, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Screw that! This is a, they could actually they could actually win this. 
What's the precedent? Were these people taking were photos the taken in public? Is the, the, the Dutch royal family rules part of the world, but so yeah, the, they just they just don't want pictures of their their family. Published. Well, now I guess AP knows what it feels like to have uh, you know people telling them what to do with stuff that should be either fair use or public domain. It's a fascinating story uh, to see uh, how this is playing out, and of course. Uh, the suit was filed in Dutch court, and uh, there, yeah, here it is: a fine of twenty-five thousand euros for each day it refuses to remove the photos from their database. Can you believe that? August twenty-eighth wow. is the ruling. My wife and I feel such photos are very damaging to our family life, Willem Alexander said in a letter read by his lawyer. It causes unacceptable pressure on our children. Oh, please. Maybe these guys want to be partying and not uh, kind of anonymously. Is that possible? Well, he's known as Prince Pils over here. And Pils Pr- is the Prince Dutch word. Prince Pils? P-I-L-S, which is as in Pilsner, as oh, in beer. Oh, for a beer, like he drinks beer? Yeah. Oh, yeah, he likes to party. And and his, um, his wife, uh, Maxima, is this uh, hot Argentinian babe. You know, of course, they had to do that. They had to marry the Argentinians because, you know, all that... There's a lot of stuff, you know. The I think all the, uh, the 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 Nazis who were hiding out in Holland, they all get sent off to Argentina. I mean, this goes back, man. These are all these families who are protecting each other. It's all these are all this is all bullshit. Mm. <clears throat> well, we know nothing of such things in the United States. Let's talk about tomatoes, because this is something pretty serious. This comes back to, I believe, UG99, which we were talking about a couple weeks ago on this very show, John. Yeah, something's fishy. Something fishy is going on with these tomatoes. There's a bunch of tom- There's a blight in the uh, northeast that's not only that, but it seems to have jumped from tomatoes for some unknown reason to potatoes. Yeah, what's the deal? Have you studied this? Have you looked into it? I've just been reading the articles, and it's just you know pretty straightforward. It seems as though, and then of course they have a super tomato that is resistant to this. And oh, just, let, let me guess: not by any chance uh, treated with something from. Uh, well, I haven't actually. I found it's called a. Uh, I, I haven't. I actually been looking for the connection between it because apparently this tomato comes out of Cornell, and Cornell has a lot of connections to Monsanto, but I have not seen a direct connection to this resistant tomato. Um, which I'm sure is tasteless, but the whole thing you start looking at, it, and you can read that from that letter that we got from a concerned uh, organic grower up there in that area. That the concern is that you know they're actually it's, it's almost as though. And by the way, I don't see any reason why they wouldn't do this if they don't really care. Uh, it's almost as though somebody has genetically modified a fungus. <laughs> Wait a minute! <laughs> Who could it be? And send it out to kill anything but, you know, to kill these, you know, the, the hot thing going on are these uh, uh, old-fashioned tomatoes, these uh, heirloom tomatoes. And they, you see them all over the place. Yeah, from, from, the heirloom, from, from the heirloom seeds, right, which are yeah, seeds from, from the seeds. 1700s or whatever? Yeah, and a lot of these are now being overproduced, and they're not very good. I mean, you'd think they'd be better. But generally speaking, uh, if you get a tomato that's a little uh, different you know, from what some other part of the world is, it really is tastier. And, or you go, get some really good tomatoes from Italy that are heirloom. You yeah, know, this when they, this is kind of like the swine flu for tomatoes. You know, the late blight, as it's called, normally doesn't happen until uh, 
you know, like uh, fall and or, you know, getting close to, you know, you got to have damp, windy weather. It's got to be kind of nasty. And now it's happening in, you know, in summer. This is this is new, right? That's what they say. What concerns me, I, I think that, you know, I think there's a concerted effort to uh, to kind of stamp out uh, these the kind some of these organic food trends and one of them would be uh, heirloom tomatoes not to, and and there's also there's been some evidence that they're trying to keep people from growing their own in fact part of the story talks about how well part of the problem is these home gardens they you know these people are out of control they don't do the right thing and then they, oh, they there's, breed there's, there's actual yeah, there's actual rules been put in place now in uh in the United Kingdom, about organic farming, you, 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 someone's going to have to come come by and approve your backyard. Yeah. So here it is. Uh, this is actually an article from March thirty first, two thousand eight, and this is what I think is related to it: the deadly fungus known as UG ninety nine. Which, I mean, what kind of name is that? I mean, isn't that like something straight out of a lab? Hey, yes, we've got our sure UG ninety nine. Like it. it kills wheat. It has likely spread to Pakistan from Africa. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Um, the deadly fungus is being used by Monsanto and the U.S. government to spread patented GMO seeds, is the theory here, of course. And it's a stem rust. So it doesn't sound like the exact same thing, but it's got to be a derivative. It's, it's got to be... It's got to well, be there's a lot. There's a million it. of these things that don't like that that gnaw away at good plants. But anyway, but I, I think there's like a concerted effort, and I would put the uh, big ag. You know, even though we have some listeners, ah, you know, you guys are wrong. I put big ag uh, in there. I would say that I think the grocery food chains that don't like dealing with the fact that people are going to small, you know, farmers market and buying their tomatoes there uh, or buying anything there for that matter. I think these things are kind of a threat. Yeah. Uh, you, think? you know, I mean, it's just like, you know, what can we do? Our, our sales are down and what are we going to do? People are going to the, why are they going to the farmer's market and buying fruit there? Sometimes at some farmer's markets, like the one in San Francisco, for example, the fruit's way overpriced, but people still buy it. But you go to a typical farmer's market, like there's one near me that has like some of the, there's a, there's a company, there's a lot of growers out there that just essentially market through farmer's markets. And they'll, yeah. if you go to 10 farmer's markets, you'll find the same company selling their fruit, but the stuff's fantastic. And they'll actually there's deliver one, right to your door. They have a website, you sign up, and they'll deliver Well, you could do that, but generally, I've never found that to be as good as the, going to the farmer's market and seeing the fruit of the day and see what the, you know, well, which course. ones. Are, and and holding it and then feeling it, and of course. Well, well, they also, they have samples of everything. You don't have that in the store generally. And then if you do, because you wouldn't buy it, you know, you sample like with some of these. I had a, there was some peaches recently at one of the, one of our gourmet, you know, ghetto stores, regular store. <laughs> ghetto. Things, I, they, you bit into it and it like sucked the juice out of your mouth. It was dry and mealy. So if, if we were truly evil, John, and we were, in fact, if we just were running parts of the world, I mean, of course, what we do is we come up with this genetic uh, seed and uh, these Terminator seeds and all this great stuff that Monsanto makes. And then we release UG99, you know, kind of like swine flu for crops. And then, of course, you get the Bloomberg article I'm looking at right now, August 13th, just last week. Monsanto Corporation, the world's largest seed maker, plans to charge as much as 42% more for their new genetically modified seeds next year uh, because of a farmer's increased output. Now they have Roundup Ready 2 yield soybeans. Yes, it's Roundup Ready 2.0, ladies and gentlemen. 
that'll be $74 an acre. And Monsanto rose $1.57 or 1.9% to $84.03 on the New York Stock Exchange. This is shares have gained 19% this year. I mean, come on. It's so friggin' obvious. It's so obvious. Well, it's too bad that there isn't some evidence that they're like, you know, responsible for some of this negative stuff that's happening to well, there's plants. Well, there's certainly evidence that, that, uh, that they, uh, their termin- Terminator seeds is evidence of that, which, you know, 80,000 farmers have killed themselves over suicide because they've Mostly lost in everything. India. It, well, yeah, still, it's a lot, you know, it's Indians, but it's a lot. So, um,. Anyway, it, just, it appears to me as though the heirloom tomato is being targeted. And, uh, and they're also the, the commercial guys who do normal tomatoes, the normal lousy tomatoes that don't even taste like a tomato but are used on, like, you know, the hamburgers that you get at Burger King. You know, because the tomato apparently, you know, has a long shelf life. It looks kind of like a tomato, even though it's kind of pale. <sighs> Against my uh, better judgment, uh, last Sunday after the show, uh, I went out and I, I, I couldn't help myself for the first time in 10 months. I bought a Big Mac meal. A Big I, Mac? Big Mac meal. So a that's Big Mac the, meal? Yeah, so that's the Big Mac. The Big it's, Mac wasn't poisonous enough for you? <laughs> no, I had to get the genetically modified fries, you know, so if they ever jammed that just flu in shot case. in me. Just in case. And, and, a, and a nice chocolate milkshake. Um, and I ate it. And John, I passed out. I swear to God, I, I fucking passed out. I wasn't tired or anything. I just like went. Ew. I just <laughs> you passed. I, out. I, I passed out, man. It was like, oh my god, this thing is it's it's putting me off. <laughs> I swear to I, John, I passed out. I, no, I you know I think I've passed out from one of these things myself because you you would you, you eat one of these things and then within an hour you're like so logy that you pass you literally <laughs> pass out and you wake up a half an hour logy, later. That's a good word. We got to reinstate that logy. I'm logy. Oh, oh. According to the uh, the Express in the UK, milk, meat, and egg prices could rocket by twenty percent because of foreign farmers growing more GM crops. Expert experts warned, UK animal feed, which is made mainly from soya, could quadruple in price within two years if growers in Brazil and Argentina produce more genetically modified soya, which is banned in Europe. I mean, this is it's a total takeover of our food. You know what's annoying to me is that we're going to have to go to Europe to eat. <laughs> I bought some heirloom seeds, by the way. I hate, I hate to admit to it. <laughs> Where are you going to plant them? No, well, that's in, just in case. Oh, I see. You know, remember, I've got the plane, so in case something happens, I grab my heirloom seeds. <laughs> I'm so out of there. I'm and then you, bu- you're, you're flying low as they're shooting at you. <laughs> I can do 50 foot above the deck, and they'll never be able to hit me. <laughs> I'm becoming a, a separatist. I don't know what's happening. Becoming a nutcase. Well, I, I think I already was. I think we days. can still get by. I think there's still the opportunity to eat uh, well in this country, but I think, generally speaking, the uh, the food. Supply, even though they brag about how safe it is because you have less people getting food poisoning or whatever. 
Uh, I'm, I'm just not convinced of it. I mean, it's just like you got tasteless food. It's genetically modified. God knows what it's doing to you. You've got all kinds of weird cancers cropping up. Pancreatic oh, yeah. cancer. Like that 50, there's 50 lawsuits implicating Monsanto in cancer lawsuits. There's all kinds of uh, shit going on. But yeah, of course. You know, doesn't it all tie in, though? Doesn't it all make sense when you think about it? We have this horrible hell. I mean, it's one industry helping another. You know, we've got the, the, the big ag helping out big pharma because, of course, we're eating crap, so we're getting sick. Well, by the way, I've got a clip that it has to do with big pharma. Okay. Uh, and it, because it's the record breaker, I'm trying to find another one like it. It's possible that they're not going to do very well with this drug, but there's one on there. Set, it starts with an S. Sp- uh, Spiriva? Yeah, this is the only, this is the ad. I I think it's remarkable. It's a very unusual ad because it's a one minute ad, I've and they this. actually they actually go to the thirty second mark before they get into the disclaimer about how it'll give you yeah. nightmares. It's a record. It's a record. It's a new record. <laughs> they they must be test marketing their uh, their ads because we know that it's usually after fifteen seconds the disclaimers come in because the disclaimer is actually what makes you want to buy the product. Let's yeah, this one doesn't it. apparently it hasn't killed anybody yet, so they don't say death may occur. Here we go. But, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. You ready? Go ahead. Living with COPD, but I try not to let it slow me down. I go down to the pool for a swim, get out and dance, even play a little hide and seek. I'm breathing better with Spiriva. Spiriva is the only once daily inhaled maintenance treatment for both forms of COPD, which includes chronic bronchitis and emphysema. I take it every day. It keeps my airways open to help me breathe better all day long. And it's not a steroid. Spiriva does not replace fast-acting inhalers for sudden symptoms. Stop taking Spiriva and call your doctor if your breathing suddenly worsens, your throat or tongue swells, you get hives, or have vision changes or eye pain. (laughs) Tell your doctor if you have glaucoma, problems passing urine, or an enlarged prostate, as these may worsen with Spiriva. Also, discuss the medicines you take, even eye drops. Side effects may include dry mouth, constipation, and trouble passing urine. Every day could be a good day to breathe better. Ask your doctor if once daily Spiriva is right for you. So this is another restless leg syndrome, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. Yeah, well, it includes emphysema. It's, it's apparently it's a spray. It's one of the, you know they always have these inhalers. People that have the, these lung conditions, and this is just a new inhaler. But it's a one shot. You do it once a day, and it apparently takes care of you for the whole day instead of having to blast yourself every uh, few hours like the other stuff used to do. Yeah, I've, I've but, seen you know, the woman. It doesn't sound safe to me the nah, way they go on. I've, I've seen the woman. In the, she's doing the backstroke in the pool, and she's she's feeling so great. And this came on at the same time. I wish I'd recorded that. There's another non-FDA approved drug which makes you larger and it literally say it makes you larger and uh, and feel sexier or something like that it's kind of like a viagra derivative and the commercial is just so mint you know where it's like the guy's like you know i really did I, the idea of having fun more often and his wife's sitting right next to him right that sounds great <laughs> but let me tell you the larger thing i didn't mind that it's like what this is like the yeah. penis pump. You know, come on, this is bullshit. You know, there's no drug that's going to make your dick bigger. I mean, that's stupid. Take twice as much. <laughs> I mean, how do they come up with this stuff? I, you know, it's, it's a. I think it's a. It's a. It's a crime that they they let a lot of these uh, things. I remember years ago when it was either the FDA or the FTC or somebody uh, busted Campbell's soup. 
for having a commercial with you know hearty meal or hearty man or whatever that soup was that they had where they would show it on the commercial and it would hit, you see it would just look like a bowl of soupy vegetables it was just filled and it turns out they they had dumped a can of soup into a bowl of marbles <laughs> <laughs> to make it look and the really marbles good. lifted all the vegetables <laughs> to the top, which I thought was genius. Yeah, of course, it's great. And and you know what? Some people might like their soup that way. So I mean, you know, I like I like marbles in my soup. Oh wait a minute, so, John, John, we got a panic. We have a real panic on our hands. Leading U.S. food groups. Hershey, Mars, and Krispy Kreme donuts have warned the Obama administration the country could run out of sugar. And jobs could be lost. <laughs> this is this is this is a major major problem for everyone in America who's fat. The food producers, which include Kraft and General Mills, gave the warning in a letter to the Obama administration. They claim that unless import quotas are increased, there could be a severe shortage of sugar used in chocolate bars, breakfast cereals, cookies, chewing gum, and thousands of other nutritious products. Well, you know what? I'm on their side. And you know why? The sugar thing is getting these making these guys crazy because what's happened is that they have uh base, they essentially have kind of blocked sugar from coming to the country in why? favor of high fructose corn oh, syrup. Oh, of course, which is what Arthur Daniels Midland Corporation makes. And so these guys are trying although you mock them, these guys are trying to draw attention to the fact that we need actually sugar because with chocolate in particular High fructose corn syrup, if used as the sweetening agent, will not you. allow the chocolate to set up. But it also kills you. It's like bad well, for you. Well, besides killing you, but the fact is chocolate, you can't make a chocolate bar with it because the stuff st stays as goo. Okay, well, I feel real bad about that. I, I just think... <laughs> <laughs> Who gives a shit? I don't eat chocolate, but uh, to me, it seems like the uh, this is probably exactly what I'm reading about. This is you know political moves where politicians are blocking the sugar imports so that this high fructose fructose uh, corn syrup, which is manufactured in the good old USA in Illinois by one of the biggest ones, Arthur Daniels Midland Corporation, right in a refinery. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's it's it, oh it's nasty in a refinery. Yeah. It's like it's like oil production. Yeah, they might as well have a pump at, you know, where you, when you drive up to fill your gas tank, have a pump of this stuff and you can pump a, a gallon just, for that. Hey, man, you just put it right straight into the IV, right into your arteries. That's what you should really do. Well, so let me finish my tale because someone's going to say, well, I had him interrupted you again. Yeah, I did. Anyway, so the uh, they so I've been you know so I've noticed a couple of things recently for these. Why did they uh, they they gave Campbell such a bad time, but they still let leave these burger companies because you mentioned the burger to advertise showing a really delicious looking burger with a big thick slice of tomato, and you buy these things and they're just flat <laughs> and gooey, and they, they you can't see the tomato if you took a photo of it. I mean, no, what's I, it? I, don't, I, I'm not I disagree. No, I disagree because I did examine my Big Mac and I and I my Big Mac meal. I took it home with me, so it had some you know had a chance to kind of like so it's settle. got to stink up the apartment. Oh yeah, totally. But it did, you know, because of course it's all it's all GM shit. The tomatoes were nice and tall. The lettuce was nice and crispy. The the bun was nice and rounded. It was not a shitty ass looking burger because it's not real food. 
it's basically chemicals and which which knocked me out you know put me in a comatose state i think they've gotten beyond that it, the food you eat you know when the food you eat actually looks like the way it's advertised that's a good clue that's when you shouldn't be eating it <laughs> okay well you and i differ on that one well, only because I just had one, and I examined it before I ate it. Yeah, and you know, know if you took it a was photo like drug, of it, but it's it not like, going to look like the photo on the advertisements, I can nah, assure you. Well, yeah, right. Like the car in the ad is the same one you get. But, it, you know, there's got to be some, there's got to be something in there because it, you're also, you can't, it's like you take a bite and you're like, oh, I need more, I need more, I need more. I just got to eat this whole thing. Ah, I love it. I yeah, love well, it's it, like I love pretzels it. at a bar. It's very salty and it's got a lot of fat content and it's, it's you know, it's pretty, probably pretty tasty, generally speaking, to anybody. It, w- it was like porn for my stomach. I don't know. Nothing, nothing you can do about it. And that stuff's spreading all over the world. <clears throat> That's the kind of the bad news. I mean, when I see when I saw the first McDonald's show up in the Champs Elysees in Paris, I thought I knew the French were doomed. <laughs> Although they uh, apparently France and Germany uh, came out of the recession. <clears throat> yeah, how's that work? Accounting. <laughs> it's EBITDA. <laughs> They're not really out of any recession. It's an it's a gap or an EBITDA thing. I don't know. So yeah, they had positive growth. Oh, don't forget. So I'll be talking with Horowitz about this, but there's a there's a chart that's going around showing that money. It's not the money supply per se, but it's the amount of actual species. In other words, the coinage and the bills in the market. And it just had this huge spike. The fact that you can't get a loan is ridiculous considering how much money apparently has been shoved into the system on the sly. So you mean the actual actual paper in the marketplace? Or, or yes. This- in other words, they cranked up the presses. Uh, no kidding. This is a chart from the St. Louis Federal Reserve uh, Bank. I've seen this it's- chart. Yeah, there's a couple. I've seen a couple of these. <laughs> yeah, it, it's just like da 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 da. Whoa! Boom. Yeah, boom, and it flies. Well, so so this is. There is a point where, and I think this is uh, just to kind of bring it back to the discussion du jour, which of course is Obamacare. There is a point where you have to watch out that no matter what the government is providing, whether it's health care or social security, whatever it is, if the money supply you know, is diluted so incredibly because of the amount of paper being printed or digits put, being put into the spreadsheet – if we get super duper inflation, well, yeah, then then we're going to have to make some tough decisions, as we call it. You know, I think there's a real valid point there that that's the danger of the government running healthcare. Well, you know, I actually have, uh, yeah, I have some thoughts on this extra about the printing presses going crazy. Do uh, well, I'm not necessarily against it. Okay. Mainly because there's no evidence that we're getting it's causing inflation. I think maybe we just need this money, money because the whole idea of money is a is a phony thing. I mean, you value your gold, but gold is just as fake as as in terms of it's like why is it make a difference? If because it's just an exchange thing. I want to buy a uh, something from you, so uh, you want to sell it to me. I could just exchange my goods and services for your goods and services in a barter sense. But to to expedite it, I'll use this this representative value which. In this case, might be gold. Yeah, except for you can't you can't print up a bunch of gold. That's kind of the point. Is it's, I know, but it's they a essentially resource. you can't print it up. But in 1849, when they discovered gold, it was essentially the same thing. 
they were it wasn't done by the government but it was but all of a sudden all this extra paper as it were in the form of gold hit the market to the tune of 3 trillion dollars which is today's equivalent of 30 trillion sure sure but yeah so i agree but it's, and it it's prevented no longer, a depression. It, it's no longer 1849, you know. So a lot of the yeah. world's gold is pretty much known. You know, we know where it's not. It's not in Britain, seeing as Gordon Brown sold it all at the bottom of the market for like two hundred, two hundred dollars uh, an ounce. Douche. Well, I think the uh, most of it's in Dubai, where it gets turned into chains. <laughs> right. So what? Uh, do we? I, do, are we going to talk about the healthcare thing this show or the next one? Because I got a couple of clips that are kind of interesting. But whatever, let's go over some of these clips I've got. Well, I guess there's your answer. Let's do some of it now. Uh, by the way, um, so this show uh, streaming to you live from the 17th Century Canal House in Gitmo Nation East on Thursday. We will be doing a show, but I'm not going to risk streaming it live because I will be on pretty much an, a deserted island using solar energy to power everything. Because uh, it literally is no, no, there's, there's 3G on the island, but there's no power where I am. 3G. What does that <laughs> mean? 3G on the island. It means I probably could upload, but I don't want to risk a stream. So even during my vacation, we will still bring you a show. Can I okay, guilt you? In, can I guilt you with that? Perhaps. Well, let's go. Take a look at these clips. There's, a, there's a. Um, let's do some real news. Oh well, I'm glad you suggested that. And now back to real news. Play the Kate clip. Oh boy, you mean Kate is eight? Yeah. Oh, geez. Right. And now we are hearing from him that he had started up a relationship in May with this young woman, Haley Glassman, 22 <laughs> years old. Were you shocked at that revelation? Uh, are you trying? What are you trying to do to me, John? What is the point of this? <laughs> I'll listen to it, but I, I have little patience. It's not for long. This. I, I have cut little, short for you. I have little patience. That he started seeing her in May. Um, you know, I was shocked. I, but it, it's it, those things. To be very honest, that's his life, and they don't affect me directly at this point. Um, Sounds like it is to me. Well, it is hurtful. <laughs> What? Okay, so this is this thing is good. This is the Today Show. Yeah, this is real news. This is the D Today Show. So they're playing. They have this interview with this woman who is a dingbat, and as though it's like important that people know this crap. So then, so I'm listening to the Sunday morning, uh, you know, political news shows. There's a bunch of them. Meet the meet the so, press. So they're the harping. So that the CNN is devoting. It's all the, all the things going on in the world. CNN is like devoting, like God knows how long, with a bunch of analysis of this, <sighs> including the uh, including this particular clip. And then I want you to play. I want you to play the rationale clip. This is some guy who's a who's a media critic who's explaining why this is so important. All right, there is a what was going through Meredith Vieira's mind, and why does uh, this warrant time on the Today Show, which is a very fine news program? Holly, that's a nice high road sounding argument for Sunday morning TV. Listen, the audience, American people, care, are idiots. care about these characters. Now, that's not enough. 
just that they care about him. But here's what's going on with Kate Gosselin, at least. People are judging their own lives. They're judging themselves as parents. They're judging themselves as wives. They're judging themselves as families against her. And that's really important. Look, at she is the most talked about, the most discussed representation or image of motherhood on American television. Think back to the 50s with Barbara Billingsley from Leave it to Beaver and all those. So he basically just explained what reality television is all about. Of course, it's about looking at yourself in the mirror. That's why it's called reality television. I mean, duh. But it's, it's, it's just as fake as Barbara Billingsley. That's what he doesn't say. Of course, it's fake. It's all, it's all put into scene. It's all set up. And they're, they're probably not even separated. Well, this is what bothers me the most. It's just like with a with a drama or, or sitcom, <laughs> like uh, 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 Leave It to un- Beaver, scripted drama, or something like that. You you at least you can pull back from it, and and you know it's a scripted thing, and you know this is bull. You know they, nobody lives like this, and you don't expect to be comparing yourself on any real basis. When you're making it look as though it's real and there's something to compare yourself to, when it's still the same fake bullshit, I mean, this is like, you know, this. that's why, they, that's why uh, uh, Burnett always insisted on call it, calling it unscripted drama. Because yeah. it was, you know, it wasn't scripted, but it was a drama. It was fake. And the, and the, to start to come up with this kind of rationale like this guy did, is I find it extremely offensive. Well, John, this is, <laughs> yes, of course, the whole th- television is, offen- is offensive. And when I was growing up, when I was six or seven years old, doctors recommended, and my mom would not let me watch more than one hour of television a week because it would rot your brain. Do you remember those days? Yeah. You know, it was like yeah, it was it would rot your brain. That was the old theory. Yeah, don't sit. It did. It's true. It's true. I will start watching John and Kate makes eight when Kate says this because it will not put seniors in a position of being put to death by their government. That I will watch. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, C-SPAN is real reality television and is highly entertaining. And I watch it all day long. I love it. I yeah. absolutely well, I love it. A lot of people would disagree with the entertainment it. value. It's so entertaining. It's just like, huh? I can't believe this is happening. Yeah, some of the stuff. Well, yeah, I actually listen to C-SPAN too much. I think it rots your brain too, but in kind of a different way. So meanwhile, I got another clip here that's kind of funny. Play time. This you're gonna the clip you're gonna play is Time Times reporter after I set it up. So apparently, some guy died in Berkeley who used to chronicle the street life, and they went on and they put together a calendar of all these people who used to live out in the street and or still do, and they're basically you know bums, not homeless. They're bums. There's a difference. And sorry. And this guy. I, this is just a small clip from the longer piece, but it just cracked me up when I heard what he you know, used to do for a living. Go. Mark Hawthorne, on the streets for more than 30 years, was once a reporter for the New York Times. You know, I was normal for 35 years, and then I got bored. For Hawthorne and others who live outdoors with all their possessions, being in the calendar was a point of pride. So <laughs> I got bored. So, so the New York Times. I just want to remind the two or three New York Times people that listen to the show that uh, don't let this happen to you. <laughs> I just got the biggest kick out of this guy. I used to be a reporter for the New York Times. That guy's like, <laughs> I got bored, and he's like pushing a cart. I got bored. He got bored. Yeah, he just got bored. I get it. Uh... So. Uh, 
Okay. Well, you got anything else? Well, I, I, well, I, got- I, I want to go through the, the, the contributors because we have to. We had a complaint bitterly on the last show about our lack well, be- of. Before you do that, before l- l- let me get into to my story of the week, okay? Because this is. Uh, I don't know if you saw this. It was. I think some of it was carried live on the news. They had this this guy, and he was like. They were there was a standoff out in uh, in Los Angeles outside the federal building. He was in his uh, Volkswagen Beetle, and uh, they first they they tear gas him, then they tased him to get him out because he had threatened to blow up the White House did from Los see, Angeles. Yeah, did you see any of that? Was he going to blow it up from Los Angeles? How was that going to work? Well, so of course that's the cover, right? The guy's name is Joseph Moshi. Actually, no, I don't name. have any of this. So Actually, his I, I full name is the interruption. Yeah. His, his full name is Joseph Mashi Bar. He's actually one of Israel's top bioscientists. So this is the guy who the, the the real news media says, "Oh, he was trying to blow up the White House." It's like a serious uh uh he's probably into bioweaponry actually. Now, this falls on the heels of all these, these – we haven't gotten into this story, which we'll do in the next few weeks, I'm sure, which is all these microbiologists that are disappearing and getting killed. Well, so this – it may have something to do with that because apparently what this guy was doing, he was surveying the, uh, the, you know, the clinics that are happening out there in L.A. Have you, have you heard about this? The Remote Area Medical Volunteer Corporation – yeah, there. In fact, this started in the in the deep south. Actually, this was a trend. They would they discovered in Appalachia. I guess it's not the deep south, but in the Appalachians, I think that they could do these clinics, and people would come from all over the place. And because you know they did, couldn't get any health care any other way, and so now it's become kind of a trend to pop up all over, you know, here and there. Well, I don't. This is. I believe this is the first time ever in the United States that these guys have done this, and it was. No. It, um, I'm looking at uh, Reuters. It marks the first time in RAM, which is what they call it, Remote Area Medical Volunteer Corporation, in their 25 years that has gone to a major U.S. metropolitan area. Okay, you're right. So a major U.S. metropolitan area. So perhaps it was happening in the uh, the, sticks. sticks. So I understand that, that what is happening and the reason why this all of a sudden is taking place is that they're actually testing the swine flu vaccine on some of these people. And this guy, this microbiologist, he was uh, auditing or observing what was going on and he caught on to what they were doing. And that's why, you know, of course, the guy will suicide himself. That's why they like, oh, this guy's trying to blow up the White House. He's threatening. And then, you know, and so he was trying to get to basically to the. Uh, uh, to the Israeli embassy, which is right around the corner from the uh, from the federal building, but he he didn't make it, and so they <laughs> nailed him. It sounds like a movie. It sounds like a cheap movie. Yeah, but this shit. I think I I think I have to believe it, John. I mean, this is this is. Pretty, well, did he uh, get the word out that that's what he was doing? Did he talk to somebody on the phone, or he well, sent you, well, some documents? Well, you, yeah. Well, you know about this letter that was sent from. Uh, Oh shit! What is that fucking web page with a lucky seven on it? Um, the um, the uh, senior neurologist who sent this uh, this letter about uh, the Guillain Barr syndrome and that uh, you know twenty five people have already died from the vaccination and so they're they're trying to rile rile up uh, some attention. 
Gee, you think it's from the adjuvants, even though our friends that do all these virology shows say that we're two boneheads full of crap? I, we weren't going to talk about those guys. I'm just saying. I didn't say who they were. I'm just saying they're out there. Those guys are jabronis. Yeah, well, there's a lot of jabronis out there. Anyway, finish this story. It's, it's quite interesting. Yeah, so um, this is uh, from, well, it's from the Daily Mail. So, of course, you know, take it uh, take it with whatever you want. A warning that the new swine flu jab is linked to a deadly nerve disease has been sent by the government to senior neurologists in a confidential letter. The letter from the Health Protection Agency, the official body that oversees public health, has been leaked to the mail on Sunday, leading to demands to know why the information has not been given to the public before the vaccination of millions of people, including children, begins. And so, this is interesting, by the way. I want to interrupt you because I live – well, although they're, they're not in town right now. I live next door to two neurologists. I'm going to, when they get back in the town, I'm going to discuss this in detail with them. I'll record some clips. Well, the letter was sent to about 600 neurologists on July 29th, um, and the letter says they must be alert for an increase in the brain disorder known as Guillain-Barr syndrome, GBS, which could be triggered by the adjuvants in the vaccine. Duh! <laughs> Duh. I mean, you could get this news right here on no agenda. So let's, let's get back to this poor guy that they, now how did, so he, how did he uh, meet his untimely death? Well, he's not dead yet. Oh. No, he's not dead. No, but they, they took him away. Oh, well, he's dead then. He'll commit suicide in the <laughs> he's, prison. He's, he's pretty, yeah, he will, he will be dead. But, but it's just, it's interesting to say, you know, to see that well, they, they put him in Supermax in Colorado, then you'll never hear from him again. No, you'll never hear from him. But it's just interesting to see the, uh, the headline, you know, uh, this uh, actually here. The let me get you the uh, let me get you the link to the story. Dramatic moment, man who th- <sighs> dramatic moment, man who threatened to blow up the White House is tasered by police police after eight hour standoff. And this is this poor guy just trying to get to the is- Israeli embassy to you know because he he saw totally what they were doing at the uh, I guess it was it the Civic Center or something in Los Angeles. And, I know. And, I mean, look at this. You just got you got to look at these pictures. It's amazing. Like this guy. I mean, they literally treat him like he was going to blow up the White House. But I mean, this is bullshit. The guy's in Los Angeles. Okay, not exactly where the White House is. In fact, you couldn't be much further from the White House. They got robotic. Uh, uh, they got like tanks and shit out there for this <laughs> they got guy. Tanks. Look at it. Look they at got, it. They got. A, they're gassing the crap out of this guy. <laughs> They got him blocked in. I feel sorry for the cars next to him. So he's a biomedical expert. So why do they have to taser him? So he can't talk. So all these cameras, the world media is is looking at the guy, and they they don't want him to talk. So they taser him. This tasering is out of control, too, John. I mean, they taser you for anything these days. Yeah, I know. We blogged about the fact that a lot of people were very concerned about over-tasering the public, including old women. Well, they deserve it. Old oh, bags. Here, cases, here you go. True. Here's this guy's bio. I mean, this guy's a serious, uh, a serious dude. So this is Mo- Moshi Bar Joseph. Yeah, Joseph. So of course they only call him Joseph Moshi in uh, in the story. Looks like his first name is Moshi, if you ask me. Oh, maybe it, just, um, uh, it could be. Probably harder to look him up that way by confusing his name. 
But I thought this was pretty interesting. So again, the story goes that he was auditing and observing the uh, remote area medical volunteer corporation who all of a sudden are conducting a clinic, a quote, clinic in the United States. Hey, if, ever, if anyone says come down to the clinic, don't go. Kind of like yeah, the that holiday would make camp. sense. Yeah, so he yeah, says, put shit, they're, they're, clinic and yeah, they're, use they're, it as a test. Of course, it's I mean, a perfect we, place. We've I'm always tested people. on the public. I mean, they've tested LSD on the public. They sprayed, you know, weird toxins in subway systems to see what happens. They've, you know, they, the military is essentially a test tube for all kinds of weird stuff. I'm, oh, yeah. We feel so sorry for these guys. And uh, nobody seems to really care. And that's another thing I, I, I would have to say that um, all these suicides we're seeing of. Uh, Military men, predominantly men, I believe. I don't think there's many women in the military who are committing suicide. I mean, there's like 40 a month. Now, is it really suicide? Uh, is it uh, is it maybe some shit that's been tested on them and they just say, oh, that was a suicide? Uh, could it be maybe they're working for Blackwater slash Z and uh, they want to blow the whistle and they're getting killed? I mean, come on. It can't all just be everyone's going crazy. You I don't know. Somebody, that'll eventually, I mean, you have to, I don't I have no idea. I mean, it's hard to tell. It seems like a high number. It's a little higher than other events. So anyway, that's the kind of stuff we cover on the show. Now, let's I'm talk about I'm saying he has who... the lead into our mentioning people who have contributed over the last week, especially after the miserable few early days of the week. Um, that bad, huh? It's okay now. We're back to normal. Hmm. But, you know, we didn't get any nights. But we do have a couple of new people that are kind of, you know, a lot of people are doing the night. Uh, uh, the layaway program? Thing. Yep, good. John Trainer, Wilmington, Delaware is one of them. Uh, he, they just account, do their own accounting. Um He's uh, in for 50 this week. Jan, uh, now, then we got some international. For the first time in about at least a month, we got a whole bunch of international contributors. Oh, nice. So we must have done something in the last show, although I don't. I think it was mostly about... It was uh, all about Vivek, right? Yeah, I don't know why the international guys are interested in that. But uh, Jan Willikens, uh, or Jan, but He must Jan, be Dutch. Which, he, sounds, uh, he sounds Dutch. Uh, he's from Spanga, Sweden. Oh. Our first Swedish contributor, $50. Yeah. Uh, Andrew Harms from Great Bend, Kansas, gave us 51 for some reason. Curiously, there's been a, at least one person this week gave us 49 because he didn't obviously want his name mentioned. <laughs> Probably a Democrat. Don't talk about me, man. I'll give you 49 bucks. <laughs> Just don't talk about me. I don't want my name. Don't want my name on the show. 49.95. <laughs> Then we got Tom Diggle who gave us seventy, and he's from Mag Hull Merseyside, UK. All right, Merseyside in the house. Yeah, John Matthews, uh, who gave us fifty before he's on the, another plan. He wanted to say that he's not from parts unknown. He's an Australian living in North Carolina, but he never no address comes up on him, which is interesting. Must mean something. And then we have a, a Belgian guy from, it's L-E-P-E-R, Leper, Belgium. I don't know, Leper? How do you pronounce it? I have no idea. Uh, L-E-P-U-R? E-R. Leper. You think so? Pretty sure. He gave us $77.70, which matches, and some other people gave us seven seventy-seven. dollars I think we mentioned, I'm not sure what that means, but Samuel, Samuel Vanderplank. 
Van der Plunk. Van der Plunk. <laughs> then we got it. We got. We did get a Netherlands guy, Bart, and this is Grootkerk. Grootkerk. Big church. Oh, right. Big church. You know, in you know, in the Netherlands, uh, when Napoleon took over, everyone had to register. So, um, and of course, the Dutch, as the Dutch are, they were like, "Fuck that guy!" We're just going to come up with some phony names. So you have the craziest <laughs> names, you know. So it's all like Johnson is John's son, you know. So they just made up some shit, and there's some really, really weird names. So to say, you know, Grootkerk, which would be big church. So someone lived near the big church, or maybe he rang the bell in the big church. But there's some pretty funky ones, like you know, flat ass. You know, stuff like that. Yeah, that's some really funny names. I should do a whole funny name show. Funny and Napoleon. We should do that. Names. You're right. The Dutch have the weirdest names. Some of them are just like, what is that? Yeah. It's hard to believe a family went back that far with that name. Or, or Nooit Gedacht, which is never thought never thought it would be. You know, just, cra- just crazy, crazy names. Then anyway. we got, uh, and I, the pronunciation slightly eludes me, but I think it's Mikoya Lat. Lat- Lachinsky, M I C O L A J Lachinsky, L A C Z Y N S K I from Warsaw, who gave wow. us a one hundred and forty six dollars and thirty one cents, which is obviously a reference to one hundred and forty six thirty one. <laughs> no, that's uh, wait a minute. That's got to be a house resolution. Maybe, but he's well, in Warsaw. <laughs> yeah, so think- <laughs> that's true. How about the guy then who we got Alexander Cody? Uh, Kietka, who gave us a hundred bucks, and and I'm thinking, where's he from? What do you think? What's his name again? Alexander Cody Kietka. It's K I E T Y K A. Oh, he's from Austin. He's from St. James, New York. Yeah, I told you. So <laughs> obvious. To I knew me. it would be something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Chris Johnson, Edmonds, Washington, seventy-five bucks. Oliver. Here's another interesting one. Uh, Oliver Junga, J U N G E, from Berlin. Johnny Green is also uh, re-contributing. He's going to build up for the thousand. Lars Sorensen from Haslev, Denmark. It's an amazing group this week. Yeah, it's a great group. Uh, David Romazin from Calgary, $120. That was a, a big deal. John Tarada, which I think we did last week from Pasadena, and Adam Prabola from Bensonville, Illinois. I want to thank everybody for for contributing and anyone who wants to get in on these. We need every week to get all these people, which you're, is you're, like... You're forgetting one of the most important ones, which was uh, Mikolaj uh, Lagzinski. Who donated one hundred and forty-six dollars and thirty-one cents? Oh, that's now that you just mentioned him, but you forgot to mention he—he he gave us the whole, he gave us the clue, and I guessed it. Remember that right. email thread? He said that equals four hundred and twenty-one point ninety-five Polish zloty. Oh, right, right. He did send us a note, and he said uh, the reason I gave you this amount is because I'll be coming to New York in November to run the marathon. So do you know why my donation is $146.31? Of course, it said, well, that's obvious because the marathon is 42.195 kilometers. And I was right. Yeah, you know, I, yeah, anyone could guess that. Except you. Yeah, I would have normally uh, done the Zolotti's calculation in my head, realize it's exactly the same <laughs> as some marathon reference, and boom. But, I, but I, you know, they keep changing the exchange rate, so these calculations don't work out for me. Yeah. Anyway, if anybody uh, wants to help us, we'd appreciate it. Uh, no agenda uh, show dot com, no agenda show dot com. 
there should be some links there. And also Dvorak.org slash NA. We tend to get uh, nothing after a Sunday show. It's kind of distressing. And then I have to like really beg for money that horribly on Thursdays. And I'm trying to avoid, uh, I'm hoping we get more like a consistent, I mean, people have to realize that this is, uh, you know, a couple hours uh, a week, three hours a week uh, that they're getting good information. They're finding out cool stuff. There's something to talk about over the cocktail hour. And we don't want to get sponsors because the show would be ruined. And 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 so we need your help. And I'd like to take a little bit of our, um, our kitty there, John. I'd like to make it available for anyone who lives in the Washington, D.C. area uh, or is going to be in the D.C. area uh, this week because on the 19th, the 20th, and the 21st, there is an international swine flu conference which takes place at the Hyatt Regency. Uh, that's on uh, Capitol Hill. And I'm looking for. I'm sure it's not cheap. It's uh, yeah, a hundred. Uh, wait. Uh, what is the full payment? It is conference plus two workshops, two thousand seven hundred and eighty-five dollars. And and I think it would be well worth it if someone wants to register to go and report back. I have the. Um, well, we should also ask if anybody's actually going to it already. Well, let me just tell you what the. Um, because I, ha- I have the PDF here, John, of, uh, of what's going to go on at this uh, particular swine flu conference. This is the International Swine Flu Conference. Um, so there's the breakout sessions. Uh, breakout session number one, Mass Fatality Management Planning, which uh, helps you develop and maintain plans, procedures, programs, and systems, uh, activate fat- fat- uh, fatality management operations, conduct morgue operations, and conduct final disposition. Then we have uh, breakout session number two, psychological issues, the public's distress of exposure and safety, public break, uh, breakdown of public services and utilities, and unwillingness to follow government orders. Uh, then we have uh, breakout session number three, business continuity planning. Uh, breakout session four, continuity of operations and continuity of government planning. When the H1N1 flu pandemic unfolds in two or three successive waves in the calendar year, how do we keep government rolling? And, of course, we have breakout session number five, which is emergency management services. Uh, it just goes on and on. Yeah, we need the binder. Yeah, that would be worth it. That would be well worth it. But, you know, maybe just get some video. Uh, and uh, I, I think we should, you know, we can transfer the money to your PayPal account Um Please, someone volunteer if you're not already going. Uh, I would really like to know about this because this, I mean, when I see conducting morgue operations and fatality management, tactical operations, you know, you got to think someone's planning something. Yeah, we need the binder. (laughs) So would you please? There's a binder with all the good stuff in it. Yes. With schematics. Yeah, send some email to us and we'll vet somebody to go to the thing. And if you are going already, and I'm sure there's somebody, uh, let us know and then we'll um, talk. I, I think it'll be well worth the investment for us, John, to uh, to send someone. 
By the way, if you are uh, if you work in public health, military, law enforcement, or academia, it's only one thousand nine hundred and seventy-five dollars. Now that's the conference plus two workshops, so you can only choose two. And of course, the top of my list would be <laughs> would be the mass fatality management planning. That's the one I want you to go to. Topics include delivery of vaccine and antiviral medic medication. The world is sick. <laughs> uh, so uh, we'll continue this on Thursday. And yeah, we'll I got some Sibelius stuff I want to talk about. Oh, good. Coming to you from the 17th Century Canal House in Gitmo Nation, East Amsterdam, the Netherlands, I'm Adam Curry. And from the burning, raging inferno of Northern Silicon Valley, I'm John C. Dvorak. We'll talk to you again on Thursday, hopefully with news from the International Swine Flu Conference right here on No Agenda. Yeah.